Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Today, on our program, I'll go over the particulars, all of those uh, peripheral issues and uh, conversation pieces uh, that I mentioned at the beginning of the program. I'll, I'll give that to you throughout this program. But today, boys and girls, I want you to sit back and relax because your, your friendly neighborhood storyteller is going to tell you a story. And let me tell you, have I got a story for you. Our guest today on the program has written a book, and uh, I don't know, uh, there's something tells me that it, it may be more than just a side, uh, a side thing, because it could develop into other things. He has grandkids, a couple of them, uh, so it kind of works out really well. He's written this book, which is a lot of fun to, uh, to go through. I love the illustrations as well as the story. The Adventures of Tony Baloney and Cookie, the author... My guest, Tony Walker, and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program to uh, not only share this particular story, but obviously how it came about and, uh, you know, uh, how much of you is a kid at heart, because uh, that's kind of where some of these stories come from. Uh, adult, an adult can't really write a children's story if they get into, unless they get into what we'd call their inner child. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Tony. Well, thank you, Richard. I've been looking forward to our interview and sharing more about uh, how this all evolved. Yeah, I I uh, probably could come up with a couple of uh, stories, uh, whether they be imagined or actually true stories from my childhood that might fit as children's stories. Never written anything, but obviously you uh, you've got uh, you've got this particular work. Now, granted, our listeners, our viewers on YouTube can already see the book but i'm going to pop it up anyway uh and it's uh, it's very nice it's not it's a thin little book it's a kid's book it's a lot of fun um and i have to tell you tony that uh one of, uh, i don't know how your book would translate to audible because you've got some fantastic illustrations that are going to lose translation if they're verbally described but uh i have had the privilege of uh, producing an audiobook of another children's story didn't have as many pictures it was it was a, a full-length story kind of thing and i gotta tell you i love it when the authors in particular like this one read her book and it was like grandma reading to the kids <laughs> uh I, I just i just love that aspect of it when you first um when this 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 idea of this book first came to you what was going on in your world well, it's funny you mention that because that's how the book came about. I literally, with my grandchildren who are pictured in that book, Scout and Ivy, uh, four and three years of age, you know, you go to bed, you read books, but if, at, for whatever reason, I can't remember the first time I did it, I started making up stories about my childhood. Now, some of them were true uh, incidences, like in the book, Tony Baloney, where Cookie, my dog, I actually had a dog named Cookie, runs in front of the bicycle. That literally did happen. Ooh. But I would just kind of make up stuff. I would try to make it rhyme. And then I noticed they really enjoyed it. And then Scout particularly, would he, she'd listen and she'd go, tell me another story. And so what I would do after I told those stories as quickly as I could, I'd go to my laptop, try to remember what I even told, because a lot of the stuff was just made up off the top of my head. And uh, then I kept putting them together. And then what I did, my focus group became Scout and Ivy. I would read the stories back to them off the laptop and see if they really liked them. So I wrote probably 20 little stories, little vignettes like that. They're very short. And then I chose, I think there's 10 in there. 
chose 10. I've written a book before called Don't Follow the Herd. So the illustrator was Chuck Jones on that. I know he could pull it off. I said, Chuck, okay, here's the stories. You helped me create the illustrations, which he did all those magnificently. And the book just kind of came to be. And uh, since I've published books before, I knew who to go to to, you know, find us a publisher that could get it done quickly. And it's with Ingram. So you can contact any major bookseller and they'll pull it up and they've got it. Libraries go through Ingram. So it's very easy to access. But that's how the book came about. And it came together pretty quickly once I started knocking those little stories out. Well, and I, first of all, I, I congratulate your uh, your illustrator in this book, The Adventures of Tony Bologna and Cookie, uh, for for the uh, the beautiful imagery in here. I I, um, I have to say that, of course, I grew up as a kid, uh, you know, watching Warner <clears throat> Brothers cartoons. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I prefer the the Windows platform to Apple because Windows looks more like cartoons. Now, some people say, yeah, and that's kind of how it operates, like a cartoon. Okay, fine. We'll set that aside. Uh, it's why I don't have an Apple product of whether it be a phone or a, a desktop or a laptop, because I just like the colors. They're more vibrant, if you will. But um, when you are looking, especially when you're writing a children's book, when you're reading something like this, and this is a large book, this is a larger, larger book, mm -hmm. uh, Usually, and this is kind of what we see in movies and TVs and movies and television, uh, the parents or grandparents, they're laying in the, in the kid's bed and the kids are on either side if they're two or what have you. And you open the book up and they can see the pictures, too, as you are reading. Mm -hmm. So they're getting that visual uh, stimuli. Um, when, when your illustrator, uh, by the way, the illustrator, if I can... Uh, who, who, I'm going to let you tell me, who was, who was your illustrator? Yeah, his name is Chuck Jones, and uh, he's a Kentucky native, actually, and I've used him again on another book that's published called Don't Follow the Herd, and he's just very, very good. I mean, yeah. he can do portraits, he can do anything, and then the, uh, the person that helped me lay it out, Kimberly Colbert, they worked together. She did a lot of the layout of the book once he did the illustrations, and then we can talk about it later. Right now, I've got an animation company working on a cartoon and of course, they're coordinating those with Chuck. And then animation's a little different. The animation company, they might change the character look a little bit just because of the movement and everything. I'm learning a lot about sophisticated animation, but we still want to have make it have it look that kind of a 60s look of, you know, when I grew up. So we don't want it looking like a pixel, mm -mm. you know, mm -mm. Pixar kind of thing. It's mm -mm. got to be that old timey look. And I think that's why it's relating a lot to not only kids, but adults our age that grew up in the 60s is just... We wanted to kind of maintain that integrity of that time back then. I find it interesting too <laughs> that he uh, he he gave the uh, the character of uh, Tony Baloney uh, a rather similar. He he looks very very familiar to me. I I've seen him somewhere before, Tony. <laughs> Funny. Funny story on that. And my mom, who she loves the past, and she provided me some pictures when I was little of Cookie and me, and I got him to Chuck so he could try to copy the images. But it was funny when I showed the book cover when we were working on it in its infancy to Scout and Ivy, uh, Ivy looked at it real funny and she goes, you don't have any glasses on. So we went on and decided to put glasses on Tony Baloney, which obviously I didn't wear glasses back then. My mom says, wow, he didn't wear glasses. You know, she was real funny, but in some ways, I kind of like that because it also allows kids to see, hey, here's a kid 
has glasses on. You never know. It's it's trying to educate kids and give them a comfort level about their situation. You never know. There might be a child with glasses that feels funny about it. Hey, here's a kid that has glasses on. I think it's kind of cool. But no, I didn't wear glasses as a child. <laughs> well, what I find interesting, I hear this comment from a lot of folks uh, who um, identify prime a lot with how they look, whether it's glasses or otherwise, and how they would watch uh, television as a kid. And they never saw someone on TV that looked like them, whether they wore glasses or skin color, what have you. I never watched TV from that perspective. That it was like it, it you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, because I'm, I'm a white guy and most of the <laughs> characters in the 50s or the 60s, because I'm 62, uh, were mostly white. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe that's why uh, it didn't dawn on me. But then again, uh, I have uh, some Hispanic blood in me from my mother's side of the family. Uh, the whiter is from my father's side, the Irish and so forth, European. Um, and I just, I just found that rather interesting that, that people, they tend, I, I, I can't believe that a kid, you know, a, a little kid watching television, that went through their mind. It never, never occurred to me. I mean, I was legally blind as a kid. I wore those real thick, you know, bottle bottom glasses as a kid growing up, you know, I read large print books as well as listen to them on, uh, on tape, uh, the textbooks and so forth. Um, and I, it was like I wasn't looking for someone that looked like me or appeared like me or, you know, what have you. I was just watching because it was fun to watch. I like TV. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, you have uh, you've got a, a very interesting story. And I love the fact that you've incorporated uh, the, your dog, Cookie, uh, or the dog Cookie. Uh, I didn't have a dog when I was growing up. My dad was not really into pets, even though we had gerbils, okay? We had a cat that adopted us, so that's kind of the way cats work. You don't adopt them. They adopt you. Um, we did have a dog for a few days because it was kind of running loose through the neighborhood, and we felt it was better to kind of get a hold of them. But my dad just really wasn't into that. But it wasn't until I was in my 30s, actually uh, late 20s. No, it was in my early 30s. Uh, my wife, my first wife and I, uh, we bought a house and then her best friend had a dog. It was a Border Collie, uh, what was it? A, a Border Collie Chow Mix, I believe it was. His name was Alfie. And, oh, I just, I loved that dog. It was, it was, uh, incredible. And sadly, I lost the dog in the divorce, um, and all of that, but, uh, uh, we've had I've had other dogs with my second wife, my present wife. We had uh, she had a, 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 a Siberian Huskies, four of them. They were sled dog pullers, sled pullers. And uh, we've had other dogs since then, including my beloved Makushla, beautiful white dog. When you were writing this story, uh, I'm sure Cookie is not with us anymore. Did that did that bring up uh, a lot of? Both good and sort of bad memories, especially because when you decide you're going to have animals in your life, that ending part's part of the deal. Yeah, and and if I can tell a little bit about my dad, because he was a funny character. Um, you know, divorce was not commonplace in 1972 when my parents divorced, actually 1970. So I was 10 at that time. I was born in 1960. 
So it's funny. I didn't mean to laugh. I was kind of snickering when you said you lost the dog in the divorce. When my parents divorced in 1970, I never will forget. My dad came over. He was living in a little apartment after they divorced. And he, he was picking me up to take me somewhere. He said, hey, by the way, uh, put those weights out on the port I, porch. I need to take those. And they're just a couple little dumbbells. So he was upset about something. And I grabbed the weights and was putting them in the car. He just shook his head. He said, all I got out. Now, he's talking to a 10-year-old. This is how my dad is. He's funny. He said, all I got out of this divorce is a bunch of bleak weights. And I'll never forget that. But I've always looked at childhood. <laughs> Stuff is funny to me. See, that never bothered me. So even when Cookie came along, I don't even remember. I asked my mom. She said someone gave him to us. My dad was never crazy about dogs, but we got this dog cookie. And back then there's a story of the dog catcher in there. There really was a dog catcher. And back then, boy, cookie, apparently I didn't know what was going on. My kid, they never shared the birds and the bees with me, but cookie knew when these dogs in the neighborhood went in heat, cookie was a male, obviously man, he would dash off and he kept getting caught by the dog catcher. Well, my dad was a big cheapskate. So he would get so mad, he'd go to the dog pound, he'd bring Cookie back, complain about the 25 bucks he just blew on this dog, you know, this free dog we'd taken on. <laughs> and I never forget, it was about the fourth or fifth time he came home. And I'm I'm young at the time. And we was like, hey, Dad, where's Cookie? The dog catcher had caught him. He said, I'm sorry, boys. Uh, after the fourth time or whatever it was, uh, they won't give him back. So, and I mean, we were devastated. We got over it, but turns out later on, we found out he found another home for cookie. He wasn't going to spend another $25. So, but it was, see that. So to me with childhood overall, I had such a great childhood. I loved growing up as a child back then. I just have always seen things as funny. A lot of people think things are sad, even like my parents' divorce. I always talk about the wonderful things that came out of the divorce yeah. He ended up moving to Bowling Green, Kentucky from Lexington, where I was from. Well, I ended up moving in with him, went to high school here, met my high school sweetheart here, got in the financial business when her father offered me a job. I've, you know, now I've got all these grandkids and I always tell my grandkids, I'll tell them this. I don't know if it comprehends. I'll say, do you realize if me and my wife, Susan, hadn't married, you wouldn't be here? <laughs> so that's the way I look at life. All these different things that just kind of happen. I just kind of go with it. So I uh, know to answer your question, my dad was not a dog lover and uh, he was a funny character. And I love looking back at just stuff like that. So he's included in some of these stories, too. But I could go on and on about stories about my dad. I'll have to write a book about him. I Probably the book would be title would be Who Cares? He was one of the first that ever said, who cares about stuff? Uh, <laughs> either that or people being people. He ran a large mental health organization and his response to everything when there was a problem with people, he would just say, ah, it's just people being people. And it's like, as I get older, I thought that's a really pretty good response. But uh, anyway, I digress. But back to that note, he was not a dog lover. He figured out a way to get rid of Cookie in a in a polite way uh, by blaming it on the dog catcher. Well, you know, uh, my dad, who is still alive, he's 92 this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, my mother, uh, I was, I was uh, texting my mother, who is 89, and they're still together. Uh, 60, what is it going to be? 66? years this June. She, they were married wow. on June 3rd. Um, I'm not even going to try to figure out what year it was. But anyway, and, and you and I are the same mm -hmm. age. I was born in 1960 as well. Yeah. Um, does not like to be referred to as a wise man. Okay. I sometimes say wise guy and has the wrong implications, uh, <laughs> but he doesn't like it. Um, but he was. And he shared with me a couple things, uh, phrases. One of them was eat Drink and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. 
Hey, let me let me interrupt you. You need to a, a book I wrote a couple of years ago. You need to purchase this and give it to your dad if you would. It's a great book and he would love it. It's that same theme, but I wrote it. It's called Live Well, Die Broke. And I wrote that book because of all the clients I have that are retired. We mainly work with retirees in my financial planning practice. And I noticed a lot of them waiting too late to spend money and enjoy their money. So he would probably get a kick out of that. Uh, but I, that's that's the whole point was you can't take it with you. We all die broke no matter how much you have. So, you know, you better spend and enjoy this money while you can. Exactly. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. No, I appreciate that. No, I, I came in with a zero balance and I plan to go out with a zero balance. There you go. And, and, and the reality is it doesn't matter whether I want to or not. I'm going out with a zero balance. That's right. Bingo. <laughs> Um, no, this is fascinating. Uh, we're talking about the adventures of Tony Baloney and Cookie with Tony Walker here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, this is a lot of fun reminiscing, so to speak, because that's kind of what we're doing here. Both are. Mm -hmm. uh, is I take it your dad has since passed? Yeah, he died at a young age. That's the other thing, too. Uh, he, he contracted Alzheimer's at a very young age, died at 64. You know, I watched mm -hmm. him crumple up in a nursing home, pretty sad death, but even then, you know, that's why I try to continue to tell stories about him. I share stories with my kids and grandkids. Even they they didn't really get a chance to ever know him. And they'll say that. They'll say, I feel like I know your dad. Well, because I'm always talking about him, all the fond memories we had. And, you know, there were some tumultuous times, but, you know, it, it is what it is. So uh, that also has spurred me on to do probably crazy stuff like write children's books and try to create cartoons and you know, I saw him go very quickly at a young age, and now I'm getting at that age, too. And I told my wife, I had my birthday the other day, I said, honey, you know, I made it a lot farther than my dad. I'm going to keep the pedal to the metal and continue to, to do stuff. I mean, I, again, you just never know. So it actually his young age death reminded me that, yeah, you, you just never know, because he was very, very physically healthy up until the time he started kind of losing it, so to speak. Well, you know, that's interesting because uh, uh, I was texting my mother as I was sharing earlier and and um, she was because uh, I was I was trying to touch base with her to find out if I could send my wife out to her in Phoenix from California to visit for a little while because my wife had made the comment. She I wish I had spent more time getting to know your mom. She is so sweet because my wife lost her job and my mother which I shared this with my mother, she sent my, my wife this beautiful card. Now, I did not read the card. It wasn't sent to me. And my wife will share it with me when she's ready. But she says, I wish I had gotten to know your mom better. So I thought, well, why don't, while she's not working, you know, maybe, you know, while she's, you know, we're doing what we're doing for, you know, maybe a weekend or a few days, and uh, and my mother says, well, you know, in the text, uh, yeah, well, my I have, to, you know, I have to take care of your dad because he's got some mobility issues more than anything else. Whereas <clears throat> in the second text she sent me, she says, but I just want to let you know that he has the blood pressure of a 20 year old. He's healthy as a horse, basically. Uh, and there was a conversation following the passing of my eldest sister last year where um, I heard about this conversation that they were having. My dad, of course, was despondent about losing his eldest daughter. And uh, he said, I just, I'm just tired. I just, I just want to go. I just want to go. And my mother, knowing how healthy my dad is, she says, and this is, uh, I think it was a quote, okay, so what are you going to die of? <laughs> because he's so healthy. And we have longevity in our family. My, my great-grandmother on my mother's side, uh, we called her Nana. <clears throat> she uh, she lived to be 100. She got one of those letters from the then governor 
uh, about her her 100th birthday. Well, I was telling people when she was 95 that I was going to outlive her, but she was making it really hard. It's not that I wanted her to die. So my intent in this lifetime is to live to at least 100, hopefully beyond that, and doing what I'm doing, talking with people such as yourself who are bringing not only lessons but joy uh, to the lives of the people around them. Uh, and in your case, around them, boy, you got them ar around the country, around the world for that matter. <laughs> and then if you do actually have this uh, animated version, which, by the way, that was kind of where I was wanting to go with this a little bit. But you've you've already addressed that. I think that will be great if this was turned into, uh, even if it was a series of cartoons mm -hmm. taking each one of these chapters or if you had more like I think you said originally you had 21 different uh, stories, but this is mm -hmm. codified down into 10. Uh, yeah. I just think, boy, that, that's fantastic. And uh, uh, by the way, my father and I and the family, we were sitting around. This was uh, way before my sister's passing. And I said, well, you know, Dad, I, I just decided I wasn't going to have any kids because I didn't want to pass on the, the visual genetic uh, stuff to, 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 uh, to uh, any, any kids because uh, of what I went through. And he turns to me and he says, oh, you do realize, Richard, that if, if I had made that decision, you wouldn't be here. And all I could respond with was, uh, yeah, Dad, I know. <laughs> oh, but I love him dearly. I'm actually, I don't know about you, but I'm actually uh, 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 an aspiring songwriter and I'm working on a song dedicated to him that I hope I can finish soon so that I can get it, uh, get it to him. Uh, I'm hoping he still has many years to go, but that's entirely up to him. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that I find interesting, um, and that is this whole aspect, and, and I'm going to put this question to you um, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host with Tony Walker, author of The Adventures of <clears throat> Tony Baloney and Cookie. This is a question that I've wanted to ask my parents. I've been told, you better do it soon. And it's a great question. You need to ask them. I'm going to ask you, Tony. What is it that gets you out of bed every morning? You're asking me that right I'm now. I'm asking you that right now. Yeah, I, I just think uh, my mind, um, like, you know, for instance, talking about getting out of bed, um, I have an office in Louisville, Lexington, Bowling Green. I have a large planning firm. I have a residence in Louisville and Bowling Green. Um, you know, we're only open four days a week. I like for my staff to have Fridays off. So when I got up this morning, it was 1.30 a.m. Eastern time. I loaded up my dog, Stella, because my wife was not going to get up that early, brought Stella back to Bowling Green. <laughs> I've been up ever since. I've gone through all the files for the day already. I've already had two meetings in the staff. I've got this. I've got probably five or six more meetings. I'll go to about five today. I love what I do. And I don't, and, uh, and again, I think there's an urgency to it. Again, thinking about my dad and I've been given, God's given me this ability. I'm a great communicator when it comes to our world. I've been doing this almost 40 years now. Uh, a lot of the people we work with are what we call savers. They're not really astute financial people. I don't think the financial world's really treated them fairly. Sometimes take advantage of them. I think our firm is really good at what we do. And I want to, I literally, I, that's I, it's a trademark saving. We're trying to help savers worry less about money. And I think we're really good at it. So I love what I do. I make good money. I enjoy it. It allows me the freedom to throw money at cartoons and all that. And I'm just very <laughs> thankful that I've had this opportunity. So I guess it's probably just driven by just thankfulness that I've got the opportunity to do what I do and I'm getting even better at it. 
you know, I, I, it's a weird world I'm in because I'm always counseling people on retirement. And then they'll say, when are you going to retire? And I'm thinking, I have no plans of retiring, uh, but I'm in a different world sometimes than them. Some of my clients are in manufacturing, they're on concrete floors, they're worn out. You know, that's different. What I get to do is sit in an air conditioned office, use my mind and create stories and have fun and meet with people. And right now it's just a wonderful life. So I'm excited when I get up and get to work, quite frankly, I enjoy it. You and I are on the same page, uh, Kindred Spirits, because uh, along with a few other um, audio production type of tasks, this is what I love doing uh, more than anything else. And I hope to be doing this. We're in our 15th year with this program, but I've been interviewing for once I said over 40 years because I started in this business in 1979. However, my very first interview was with a... um, a radio and TV performer, if you will, uh, back in Phoenix. He was part of a kids' show, and it was in 1972. Okay, so we're talking 50 years ago. So I've actually been interviewing, if you want to start there, for 50 years. And who knew? You know, over 50, I should say. Um, it's just, uh, you know, and I'm I'm with you there. It's it's there's nothing else like it, and like with you. Retire? First of all, my mother asked me one day, she says, so so how's your retirement plan coming? And I'm going, what? What retirement plan? And I don't. I, seriously, I do not. have. You want to rob me? You want to steal something from me in terms of money? Uh, good luck. Uh, you know, I'm one of those living from paycheck to paycheck. But, you know, this leads into another area I want to get into. But um, I'm just having fun what I, with what I'm doing. I'm doing all kinds of side projects that certainly bring in a few extra coins here and there. Uh, I'm not homeless. I've got a home, roof over my head. My wife and I do. We've got clothes to wear. We've got a place to sleep, a place to eat. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it's like we've got everything. But this kind of goes in now. I want to get into sort of your philosophy, which I have a feeling I know what it is, but I'm going to have you expound on it. Uh, but this is what's interesting. Um uh, from a from a biblical perspective, uh, the it's it's like uh, not only to whom much is given, much is required. That's one thing. That's one element. Okay, uh, whether it's money or otherwise, but there's also that dynamic, and I refer to it as a universal law. That there is always, always, always an exchange. There cannot be a receiver without a giver, and vice versa. And, of course, there's another passage from the Bible about casting your bread upon the water and it'll return to you and so forth, right? So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, what you're trying to help people do, which is a wonderful thing, but when, you st- when people start to give, they start to help other people, it keeps coming back to them. And it's almost like I can't give it away fast enough. It keeps coming in. I can't get rid of it quick enough, you know. I guess I'm going to have to be selfish then so that it stops coming in. I got to I got to turn off the faucet because I don't want to I want to go out with a zero balance. Kind of like what we talked about before. And and so I'm wondering with the people that you uh, that you work with and you counsel and, and support and facilitate and so forth. Do you ever find people who, you know, they they are genuinely trying to uh, not just make ends meet, but have a comfortable life, which is absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with that. But they also want to help others, and they keep getting, I'll use the term, they keep getting blessed over and over and over again because of their kindness and generosity. And we see uh, stuff on YouTube and other places all the time. 
of people who step out there to help fellow human beings in whatever their situation is. And I think that's fabulous. But what about that dynamic, philosophically speaking, uh, in terms of the work that you do? Yeah, so back to biblical concepts, you know, first of all, as Paul said, you got to be learn to be content in whatever circumstance. So I can remember it wasn't that long ago when I was, but hadn't been for my wife working nights as a nurse and me trying to make it in this field, I wouldn't have made it. I mean, we were pretty much broke. I was floundering and all that. So I can look now that I've got, you know, 17 full-time people. I've got a full production studio in Louisville where I do a weekly TV show, all this stuff that I've got that I never would have dreamed I've had. But I, I think the concept really starts with sowing and reaping mm-hmm. in the Bible. That, to me, makes the most sense. And it also takes away what I call the guilt trip, guilt trip gospel. So if you are successful, sometimes this happens to Christians. They become successful and they almost feel guilty over it. And I say, no, that's not, it, you know, uh, that's why I say, I think that's what Paul was saying. If you got a lot, fine. Be thankful for that. If you don't have a lot, be content in that. So I just look at money that way. It's just a commodity. I've been without it. I've got it. I'll have to admit I like having it rather yeah. than not having it. But I think it's sowing and reaping. I just continually see whether it's putting money into the staff, uh, paying them more money. I'm getting ready to hire another person. Uh, my wife sometimes I always keep with her. I said, honey, you don't want to know what I pay the staff. But what I found is you pay these people well, you treat them well, you let them off on Fridays. Uh, the the I remember I went through a program called Strategic Coach, which was built for entrepreneurs. And I can remember then I said, you know what? I think I'm going to close on Fridays. Well, the people in that program thought I was crazy. This was 20 years ago. That just intuitively made sense to me. Not only can you learn to be more efficient in your work, we get more done in four days. And I guarantee most people get done in five days, but it rewards the employees and gives them a life outside of work, which to me, when they come in on Monday mornings, rather than dreading it, they hit the ground running. So that's almost a concept of sowing and reaping. You sow into your employees and give them stuff. They're actually going to give you more back uh, in that example with hard work and being very efficient. So I live by the sowing and reaping, uh, but you've got to work hard and you've got to sow if you expect to reap. So I do believe in hard work and dedication to whatever you decide to do, whether you make a lot of money or not, really work hard at what you do it sounds trite, but I really try to be the best at what I can be. And I'm confident I'm one of the best at what I do. Otherwise I would refer everybody else to the guy that's the best, right? I mean, if I really care for other people, no, I want to be the best at what I do in this field of retirement planning. Yeah. Well, you and me both in our respective careers. And I, I live by the philosophy also that uh, my goal is not to be successful. This goes really to your core. My goal with whomever I'm working with is to make them successful. Because if they're successful, guess what? Then I'm successful. Now, we all define success differently. And I I, I do understand that. And it's not always about the money. Um, I had an experience where... Uh, I I was asked to do a project, and now we're going back a good uh, 30, 35 years. Uh, I was actually worked, I worked for a Christian radio station in Phoenix for 15 years from the 80s during the height of televangelism um, into uh, about 1995. We had a client that came in, and he bought some time on the station, but he also brought this big old box of five-inch reels. He says, I'd like to put these together as half-hour shows for my slot. I said, all right. And I ran into a little hitch because every time I'd put one of those reels up there, um, 
it would squeak going through the guides. And obviously that was because he didn't store them properly. So the lubricant that was on the tape had dried out. Well, I found a way to eliminate the squeak. And so I went through every single one of those tapes, transferred them to uh, um, cassette, if you will, for the programs that he was doing. That was how we were doing it back then. No computer back then. Would have been nice. And unfortunately, my boss lived by the law of diminishing returns. And I'm thinking, he's a good Christian man. Why is he living by the law of diminishing returns? Meaning you don't put out any more than you expect to get back. Well, what ended up happening with this gentleman who bought the time, after about six weeks on the air, he decided to cancel. And he had a good six months worth of programs that I had produced, if not more. And my boss was a little, he is a little upset over the whole thing because we had uh, spent so much time. I, he, we, I had spent so much time uh, putting all this together for him. And I, I had to actually remind him, I said, you, you don't understand. Yeah, he was only here for six weeks. And yeah, we did this major uh, project for him. But think about it. Imagine what he's going to tell others about this radio station. That they went above and beyond to put all of this stuff together. He left here with a good taste in his mouth. That was making him successful, which made us successful. And even though I didn't really get paid anything extra for doing that, it was just part of my hourly, I learned a lot. Uh, I, the education that I gained from that experience. Do you find that today a lot of people, they like you, I'm sure, and I, they, they, aren't, they aren't really grateful for where they are, what they have achieved, what they have learned, they're more focused on the struggle and the, the, the uh, uh, just surviving and so on and so on and so on. Because I've never made huge amounts of money. I mean, <laughs> in the business I'm in, most people would say, nah, it doesn't exist. But it, I'm here. I'm 62. I made it. Okay. In spite of all the financial challenges that I faced in my life, including my first divorce, um, I'm still here and it's not over. Talk to me about, uh, your, the way you look at all of that in terms of not just your work, but your life, your play, even, and you mentioned this before, one word you mentioned, your intuition, listening to that still small voice. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experiences in that regard to, uh, the, the way in which you see life and how you uh, express that while you're with others and so forth. Well, <clears throat> somebody I've enjoyed listening to lately is a partner with Warren Buffett of Berkshire Hathaway. His name's Charles Munger. Mr. Munger is still alive. He's 99. He lived through the Depression. He's a very, very sharp, wise man. And he made an interesting comment because I like this kind of stuff. He said, you know, the problem with this country right now, you know, we're one of the most wealthy countries the world's ever known, even with all of our problems. I mean, just wealth in general mm -hmm. is he doesn't think the problem as much as it is greed, but envy. And I think that's an astute observation. So even with you and I talking and you've kind of alluded to it, I know you don't mean anything by it, but 
and people will come into me there. Everyone kind of wants to know deep down, they don't come right out and say this, but how's everybody else done financially as compared to me? Mm. That's a, that's a logical question. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're not careful, the way we answer that, or maybe even the reason we're asking that could be what Mr. Munger is saying. Why are you even asking that question? Could it be because, you know, the Bible talks about this envy, jealousy, those things usually lead to quarrels. So if you look at the state of our country right now, let's just stay on that. A lot of divisiveness and everything. Could it be that envy has stoked a lot of these quarrels and jealousy rather than everybody just looking at what they got? We've mentioned it earlier, being thankful for what you got, being content with where you are and quit worrying about what everybody else has. And I think that's been the problem with social media. You mentioned that earlier when I got in, you know, actually I wanted to be in broadcasting. That's where my degree was from. I was a majored in Western Kentucky University in broadcast journalism and psychology. I wanted to go down that road. I just decided not to do it. But think about it. Back then, we didn't have the opportunity to be so envious of other people and so jealous because you didn't have the mediums to do that. Whereas now you and I grab where my silly iPhone is. And in five seconds, I can become envious immediately. And it's a real danger. So I think, first of all, don't worry about what everybody else has, financial or anything else. Most of them are probably lying, number one. Uh, if you read The Millionaire Next Door, which is a great book, a lot of the people you don't think have money, I can attest to this, are the ones that have money. So a lot of people that do have money, when they finally arrive there, whatever their station is, a lot of them that have true hard workers, they're, they're hard, they don't. They don't show off their money necessarily because they just have worked hard and just happened to occur there. So I would caution anybody out there right now, stop worrying about what everybody else has. Take Mr. Munger's observation. This whole thing of envy is a dangerous road to get on. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And how about throwing into the mix um, the conversation uh, in, in one of the Gospels where Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're all moaning and groaning and complaining. Well, I don't know where we're where we're gonna get our next meal. And what am I gonna wear tomorrow? And and where am I gonna <laughs> lay my head? And on and on. And what does he do? He points up into the tree. And you see that bird up there? You see that bird there? He doesn't toil. He doesn't work. He doesn't punch in and punch out. Okay. And yet, he's taken care of. He's got everything he needs right now. Almost, almost along the lines of uh, uh, going into the concept of mindfulness, you know, staying right here, right now. Because if you worry about the future, yeah, you're going to worry about where am I going to lay my... I'll tell you something right now. Um, the property where we live, we rent. It's been put up for sale. We've lived there for 16, almost 17 years. And it's been put up for sale. I don't want to move. So we've, we've told the, uh, the, the owners as well as the realtor that we'd like to stay if the new owners will have us and allow us to maybe be caretakers. And then we've got my wife who lost her job. Uh, and, and all of these little things that pop up. And, uh, and, of course, my wife, she's worried, worried, worried. And I said, hey, what do we have right now? Where are we right now, this moment? Uh, we have everything we could possibly want. And I'm not thinking about the people that I know who live here in Santa Barbara. Some of them are probably very well-to-do. And maybe, you know, and I could be upset with that. Well, man, they got this big old house. Maybe we could check and see if we could move in with them, you know, because they got more than enough room and on and on. No. Now, do I put the word out that, hey, this is what's happening. And if there's anything that anybody can do, maybe maybe one of these folks will buy the property and allow us to stay. I don't know. 
And you know what? I don't care because I know that I'm going to be taken care of. Yeah, Talk to a bus. Throw yeah, that, that into chapter, the mix there. Yeah, Matthew, the chapter six of Matthew you're referring to. I've, I've, I've studied that a lot. I've studied that. Plus, I, I, I like to read the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a lot of lessons there about money, but obviously the Bible's full of lessons about money. But you're right. I mean, you you have to plan for tomorrow, but you, as they say, old saying goes, you really do have to live for today. That's, that's what Jesus says at the close of that, you know. Don't worry about tomorrow for today. I'll have enough trouble of its own. So I think that's what he meant by that. You've yes. got to plan for tomorrow, be prudent, be shrewd, but you can't worry about tomorrow. There's too many things that can happen. You know, it was like my mother when she asked me, what's happening with your retirement plan? I said, well, the only retiring I'm going to be doing is putting new tires on the truck. That's it. You know, <laughs> I joke because I don't want anybody to have to do this. They're going to have to pull my cold, dead carcass off the console. Because that's where I plan to end my days, whenever that happens to be, because I just enjoy doing this. And my father also, another one of his wonderful uh, uh, phrases and sayings was, find, Richard, find something you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. But then he added to that, he said, don't get stuck like I did. But my dad didn't stay stuck as he perceived it because he went to junior college, got his computer programming degree this was back in the 70s, my friend, when they still had fanfold paper, paper and punch cards. Before we had uh, cell phones that could launch rockets. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how powerful these are by comparison. Uh, but I've, I've, I've been the kind of, I don't know about you, but I have always felt like I've been in the right place at the right time. Um, I agree. I didn't seek out this broadcast career. It sought me. My, uh, my uh, guidance counselor in junior college told me about this radio station for the, for the blind and visually impaired. It's called Sun Sounds. It's a radio reading service. And they read period that back then in the 80s, uh, seven, 1979, uh, they were getting ready to go on the air. They would read newspapers, magazines, books, and all of the period, anything that was in print. Okay. Uh, and they would, they would broadcast it on a closed-circuit service. Now it's available online to anybody. It's amazing. Um, and that's how I got started in this. And ironically, I was actually working at the time before I checked this place out. I was working down in the audiovisual department, which was below the library. Uh, and I would take uh, uh, film strip projectors and VCRs and and overhead projectors and all this kind of stuff and film uh, uh, projectors to the various classrooms, set them up and get them rolling for the class to see whatever it is that, that the teacher wanted them to see. Then I come back and I break it down, and take it back. So I was already getting into the the media end of it. And then it kind of focused into to that. I can't think of anything else that, that is more fun. I love reminiscing with folks who've been in the business for a long time about the, the changing in the technologies. I mean, I work with reel-to-reel and carts. I, I, believe it or not, Tony, I miss the razor blade, china marker, and the splicing block. Hmm. That, was, that was so much fun. We are talking. Well, my first, uh, first gig in college when I was in broadcasting, I worked at a little small 250-watt radio station down the road here in Bowling Green. But, yeah, I spun records, put the preachers on on Sunday mornings, had the carts, had the two turntables, it was a lot of fun back then. Yeah. I mean, and I really, I probably would have pursued that back to chance. My father-in-law in 1984, though, you know, we were just married. I was struggling to make it in the, in the uh, broadcasting world. And he offered me a job in his financial 
firm, we'll call it that, in 1984, and I took it, and I'm so glad I did. So like you said, sometimes you do have to jump through those doors that open. I didn't know anything about the financial world, and here I am today, you know, Mm -hmm. so I would say that with people, too. That's the other lesson I've learned. I think some people are, are afraid to take calculated risks. It wasn't a stupid thing to do, but I didn't know anything about the financial world at all, you know, so mm. I'm glad I took that risk and and he gave me that opportunity. Yeah. Um, in that, in that, uh, in that vein, uh, you, you mentioned that money is a commodity and I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble with it. I personally have my parents. Uh, I don't want to say they were frugal. We were lived in a middle class. We were middle class when it existed back in the 60s and 70s. Um, And my growing up was fantastic. I loved it. And yes, there were times when I would look at the other neighbors and what they had and thinking, oh, they got got more than us. And it wasn't that I was envious. It was more of an observation. But it turns out that my parents, uh, they didn't give us everything we wanted, okay, but they did provide for us. Uh, And one of my favorite, one of my favorite times we would be uh, on a Monday evening we would be all sitting in front of the TV watching Laugh-In, and my parents would head off to what was then called FedMart, and they would go grocery shopping. And when they came back, after offloading the groceries and putting everything away, they gave each one of us one of those little boxes, are you ready for of Cracker Jacks. That was a little thing that they did for us. And then, of course, we got the little prize inside, and we were so excited and everything. I got to tell you, there are days when I wish I could go back to that, but we can't. We can't go back to that. It's gone, but it's wonderful to reminisce. And I, I actually, I feel for the young people of today, the kids of today, because they're more concerned not just not just about the technology and social media. We can even set that aside. They can't even go out and play like we did, mm-hmm. without fear of not coming home. Alive. That's why I say I, that was the purpose of writing the Tony Baloney. And I think in some ways, uh, although my grandkids were only three and four, I thought they I think they realized that was a different time back then. Yeah. So I think that's why this book is resonating. I think young kids love the innocence of it. Uh, the storytelling also has lessons in there they can learn. But I think the adults are kind of enjoying reading this book because it takes them back. So I think it's a uh, for me, it does. I mean, even if this book doesn't sell great guns or the cartoon is a flop, I've had more fun doing this. And just to know that our, I've been able to leave something for my kids and grandkids and a few other people that have enjoyed the book has meant a lot to me. So it's been a very rewarding experience, more so than the financial. I've written six financial books. This one by far is terms of just really getting me going. And uh, it's meant a lot to me to be able to put this book out there for a lot of reasons. You know, um, I'm, I'm flipping through the pages here and every page I turn, it brings up a memory for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, in that respect, uh, Tony Bologna learns to swim in particular. We <laughs> lived next door to a family that had a pool in their backyard. And in the summertime, one of us had to be real create, uh, courageous and go to mom and dad and say, uh, mom and could, could, could we go swimming next door at the Helms? And it wasn't a huge pool, okay? This wasn't a big pool, but it was six feet deep and so forth. And so you know, that was one of the things we had to do. You also have uh, an interesting chapter in here. Uh, Tony Baloney uh, learns to potty. You know, I, I don't remember that part. Tony Baloney has an accident, and you got him falling off his bicycle. And I remember because we bicycled everywhere in our neighborhood, and I remember That's we set up ramps. Did you ever do that where you would set up a ramp uh, and see if you could jump? Oh, yeah. 
I forgot to pull up on the front wheel once, and I went, uh, as they say, ass over tea kettle, and I had just been given a brand new uh, watch for, <laughs> for Christmas, and I landed with my arm against my chest, face down. I didn't hurt my face. I kept my head up, but I slid just far enough, and it scratched up that crystal. Um, I banged up my knee, too, but... <laughs> Well, that uh, that story, we were on a bike ride with Cookie ran in front of me. Uh, I showed me crashing and we did. We kept the blood out of the scene. But I literally that my, my head hit a wall. I can remember that. And I had six stitches as a result of that fall. So I had I was very accident prone back then. I, I had stitches three different times before I was six years old. My, I was into everything. I was really uh, darting around everywhere. I mean, but that's that's just the way I played. I played hard and had fun. But uh, yeah, you, you just had accidents back then and you went on, you know. Yeah. But, now, there's something interesting that we can talk about for just a couple of moments here uh, as we are, you know, we still have we're some kind time. Of winding, we're kind of winding down, aren't we? A little I bit, a little bit. Yes, we yeah. are. Yes, we are. But yeah. one of the things, too, is that <clears throat> that um, that you've got in here, You, I mean, you've, you've got this broken down beautifully. Again, this is the adventures of Tony Bologna and Cookie. And, um, you know, you've got uh, he, he, Tony Bologna gets a dog, goes to school, learns to tie his shoes. I prefer loafers. So you just slip them on. That's what you have today. You didn't back then. Um, although they do have Velcro, too. Uh, goes to the circus. I think I recall my first experience when Ringling Brothers would come to Phoenix. They would set up in what was then um, they called it the Madhouse on McDowell. It's where the uh, 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 Phoenix Suns used to play. Uh, it was called the Coliseum. And uh, they would bring Ringling Brothers in there and so forth. Matter of fact, I remember uh, working for the Christian station at that time uh, when Mother Teresa came to town. We carried that. We broadcast that live on the Christian station. But I got to sit there um fairly close to Mother Teresa, and she walked on by. I can't remember if I shook her hand. I don't remember at all. But um, but anyway, just some of these are, are just memory-evoking, and it's really cool uh, to, to go through here. One in particular that Tony Bologna learns to work. My dad was great at that in that he, f I forget what age I was, allowed me and my brother, me first, of course. I was the oldest brother. Uh to mow the lawn. Now, my dad, I believe, even at that early age, had an electric mower. I probably went through, a uh, in my childhood growing up and mowing lawns, I probably went through a dozen electrical cords running them over. <laughs> Learning to work. That's a big one for a lot of kids. And yet, not so much so, especially if maybe you've got a single, you know, you're a single parent and the kids... I want to help. They want to contribute. So they've got to go out. They go out and get jobs. They quit school, that kind of thing. I mean, it still happens today. It still does. Uh, what lesson in terms of learning to work are you wanting to impart through that particular chapter? Because this ties into the work you do now. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know what it was about me. I finally figured out I do like working for money. Um and it was weird. I remember when I was little, I remember the first snow back in those days. It seemed like it, was, it snowed a lot more than it does now. But anyway, we had some deep snows. And I remember my dad, I, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, lower middle class. And we got a little allowance every week, you know, whatever it was, piddly amount of money. And my dad said something. He says, why don't you go to some of these neighbors, you know, back then everybody knew everybody and see if you can shovel their walk. You know, I, everybody was out shoveling. We had some older neighbors. 
And I said, oh, okay, well, do I just do it for free? He says, no. My, my, my dad said, see if they'll let you shovel the walk for a quarter. And I said, wow, a quarter, okay. So I went to all these neighbors and almost every one of them, I guess because they appreciated the fact. And I said, I'll shovel your walk for a quarter. I can remember. And they said, well, sure, you know, Tony, go ahead. So I'd work hard and shovel it and go back, make sure it was good. And they gave you a quarter. The satisfaction of just working and making a quarter for working uh, just made sense to me. So it's the same way now. I work really, really hard. And in our industry or most industries, I mean, the harder you work, you will make more money. So I do like working hard still to make money. That's what I tell my staff. We have bonus programs and all that. I said, if we are successful here and you're working hard, you're going to be rewarded. And so far, I haven't found anybody that's given me back any money here at Tony Walker Financial <laughs> staff. They always gladly take the money, but I think it's a good thing. So I just think learning to work and earning money it's a wonderful thing. Uh, indeed, even Paul, back to Paul, he said, if a man's not going to work, neither let him eat. I mean, you, I think back to intuition, if you want to get out there and hustle and work, you, especially in this country, I've met people that have come to this country from other countries, a gentleman that uh, has driven me a few times when we've flown into Orlando, he's from Bosnia. We have a large Bosnian population, even in Kentucky, but he looked at me, I said, well, how do you like working in the States? He has his own company now. He said, this is like heaven. I, people don't realize here in this country the opportunity you have to work and make money and how easy it is compared to where he came from in war-torn Bosnia. So I just think we've been given this innate ability to work. I think people who don't want to work are robbing themselves of, 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 of a joy it is to serve others and get paid to serve them. I just think it's a wonderful combination. And there's lots of things to do. Um I find Shoveling it, the walk. Think, I mean, think how menial a task that is. But, you know, God's honored by that as much as the guy building the skyscraper. It's, it's yeah. if you're serving others and you're getting paid for it, I think that's a wonderful thing. Now, that's an interesting phrase right there. Uh, serving others. Uh, it, it, it's and, and I, I bring this point up only to illustrate, I, I would have to say, the lack of service. Primarily, and I, I, I'm not wanting to get political here, but I'm going to bring up the point. I don't see many of our legislatures, legislators, I should say, both on the state and national level, specifically national, who are serving anybody but themselves. Matter of fact, here in California, the news just released today, as of our conversation, was that... Um, Ms. Feinstein has decided after 30 years to step down, to, to not run for re-election. When I hear the stories of this particular individual has been in Congress or the Senate longer than any other human being on the planet, I'm sitting here going, and our founding fathers are probably rolling over in their graves because... This was supposed to be a job of service. You go in, you do your thing, you get out, let somebody else go in. But, of course, I hear, well, yeah, but we like this person and we, they're doing a great job for us and we want to keep them in there. And I'm just sitting here going, but we, we need some new ideas because we're, we are, from a, from a governmental and political standpoint, you would probably agree, we're floundering. We things have things have not gotten better. I I I I joke about this, uh, Tony. What's the point in voting 
because nothing's gotten better for the common man, you and me. Matter of fact, the class that you and my parents lived in back in the 60s, 70s doesn't exist. It's gone. You know, you have down here and then you have up here. There's nothing in the middle anymore. In my business, I'm what's called a registered investment advisor. We have to go through the Securities and Exchange Commission. I'm a fiduciary. Everything right. we do has to be disclosed, right. transparent. Mm-hmm. It's something called a conflict of interest. We're not supposed to have any conflict of interest of any products. And not to bash politicians, the system, I'll just call it the system. Okay. The system is a built-in conflict of interest in and of itself. Anybody, anybody, you know, the old, the late Chuck Colson said that when he got tied in with all the Nixon stuff and went to prison, became a Christian after that. He said, if anybody thinks they're going to go to Washington and change that system, good luck. It's, it's conflict of interest galore, because if you can stay there longer and make money, any human being probably back to that is probably going to fall into the system and say, why would I ever leave this gig? And it's just how it is. So I would say on that, back to that, I don't really probably get involved in politics like I do. I'm kind of like Chuck Colson. I don't think you want to change that system. I'm going to do what I can control with my own business. I don't mind sharing my conflicts of interest with anybody by law. I'll I'll follow the law. And I think God, again, is honored by working hard, serving others, doing what's right, and just keeping your hand to the plow and trying not to watch what's going on, all this chaos around us. Because yeah. it's it, it can get you down in a heartbeat. Absolutely. And and of course, and I really have got to, I'm so sorry, I have to run, but uh, is right. there anything else I can share with you? Absolutely. On the- there is. Uh, and uh, we're going to do that as we continue here with Tony Walker on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan. And Tony, I have three final questions that I would like yeah. to ask you that I ask all of my guests and I'll run through them very quickly. And they are, the first one is, who is Tony Walker? Well, Tony Walker is a young man that grew up in uh, humble means and continues to just be thankful to God that he's given me what he's given me. I try to remain humble and also enjoy the blessings I've got. That's a that's about who I am. <laughs> Not much more than that. Second question is, what is your life's purpose? Well, I think the mission of helping, I have kind of a, a hierarchy. I serve God first, my wife next, my immediate family Actually, my clients come next and then my staff, and that's about all that's in my wheelhouse. I figure if I can focus on that, always keep that order and balance and get up and work harder and serve others in the in the gifts that I've been given, that's, again, about all I can do. And I'm pretty content there. Final question, and I hope you get the movie reference. What was your best day? Uh, best day? I, I think looking back on it, it's it's weird to say this, but as a result of my divorce— of my parents' divorce, the decision to come live with my father in 1975 was probably the best decision I ever made because that's where I eventually met my wife. My wife introduced me to her father. I started in the business. I've got this wonderful marriage. I got these wonderful kids and grandkids. So I, looking back on it, and that's where I'd like to leave people, sometimes the worst things that can happen in your life, decisions that you need to make, uh, stepping through that door and moving in with my dad and moving to a strange place called Bowling Green, Kentucky, that's probably the best decision I've ever made. Well, Tony Walker, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story as well as the adventures of Tony Baloney and Cookie here on Tell Me Your Story. It has been a great pleasure. Continue the work that you're doing. You're doing a great job. I thank you so much. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am still listening.